Today we begin a new study series built around these five Advent candles entitled The Candles of Advent. Today we're going to be talking about the prophecy candle. Next Sunday we'll take a look at the Bethlehem candle. On December the 14th we will look at the shepherd candle. On December 21st the angel candle. And then on Christmas Eve, we'll wrap it all up in our Christmas Eve candlelight service with the Christ Child candle. It's my prayer that each of these lessons will help to prepare our hearts for a more meaningful celebration of Christmas 2014. Well, this morning we begin with the very first candle in the Advent wreath, and that is the prophecy candle. This candle reminds us of the important role that the Old Testament prophets played in preparing the hearts of the people for the coming of the Messiah. Now, it's generally agreed among scholars that there are 332 specific Messianic prophecies in the Old Testament. These prophecies cover nearly every aspect of the Messiah's life. His birth, His ministry of teaching and miracles, His death, burial, and resurrection, His ascension, and even His second coming. And these prophecies are found not only in the 17 books of prophecy, the five major prophets and the 12 minor prophets in the Old Testament, but really throughout the entire Old Testament. For instance, a great number of messianic prophecies are contained in the book of Psalms, as we'll see today. Well, let's do a little Bible study together as we take a closer look at some of these prophecies. And I want to begin our Bible study section today by having you look with me at an interesting story that's told in the New Testament, here in Luke chapter 24. This story takes place after Jesus' death and burial, actually on the very day of His resurrection and 40 days prior to His ascension into heaven. And so follow along in your Bible as I read. Luke chapter 24, we pick up the story with verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus Himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing Him. So God evidently had veiled their eyes somehow that they were not able, even though they knew Jesus very well, they were not able to recognize Him. Verse 17, he asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, a powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. 
But we had hoped that He was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find His body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said He was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but Him they did not see. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter His glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, He explained to them what was said in all the Scriptures concerning Himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if He were going farther. But they urged Him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So He went in to stay with them. When He was at the table with them, He took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. That sounds familiar, huh? And gave it, began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized Him, and He disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while He talked with us on the road and opened the Scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when He broke the bread. While they were still talking about this, Jesus Himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. He took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then He opened their minds so they could understand the Scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in His name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Now there are a few key verses that I want to reread and emphasize from today's text here in Luke chapter 24. In fact, let's read this one out loud together. Luke 24 and verse 27. Would you read it with me? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, He explained to them what was said in all the Scriptures about Himself. And then look at verses 44 and 45. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that was written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the Scriptures. Folks, there are two areas, major areas of evidence appealed to in the Bible 
to support that Jesus Christ is without a doubt the Messiah. The first is that of the resurrection. That's why, by the way, I chose this particular story to read to you today in Luke 24. That Jesus rose from the dead validates that He is indeed the promised Messiah. And secondly, there are the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled each and every one of the 332 Messianic prophecies in exact, minute detail, validates that He is, in fact, the promised Messiah. And it's these two areas of evidence that are the clinching proof that Jesus Christ is the one and only Son of God, the Savior and Lord of all humankind. Now, if you're interested in digging into that a little deeper on your own, I would recommend Josh McDowell's book. I think I put it there in your notes. The New Evidence That Demands a Verdict. He covers the evidence both of the resurrection and of the prophecies very thoroughly in that highly recommended and acclaimed book. Our focus today is on the Messianic prophecies. Now obviously we don't have time to look at all 332 prophecies, aren't you glad, in the time that's allotted to us this morning. So for our purpose today, I've selected just a sample of 15 of these prophecies and their fulfillment. Let's take a moment just to work our way through them in your notes here. Would you take your notes and let's just kind of look at these together. These are just 15 of the 332 prophecies. The prophecy and then the fulfillment. For instance, it was prophesied of the Messiah that He would be born of a virgin. We heard Jerry read that scripture earlier, Isaiah 7.14. Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son. The fulfillment of that, of course, is obvious. One scripture, Matthew 1, tells us that she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit and Joseph kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. It was prophesied, secondly, that the Messiah would be born in the city of Bethlehem, the city of David. Micah 5, verse 2 says, But as for you, Bethlehem, from you one will go forth from me to be a ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from the days of eternity. Matthew 2, verse 1, among many other scriptures, tells us Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. And then the Messiah was prophesied that He would be presented with gifts by nobility. Psalm 72, verse 10. Let the kings of Tarshish and of the islands bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba offer gifts. And of course, we know the story of what we call the wise men. Matthew chapter 2. Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem and they fell down and worshipped Him and presented to Him gifts. Flip the page on the first inside page of your notes. It was prophesied that King Herod would kill the children two years of age and under, male children, trying to snuff out this newborn Messiah. Jeremiah 31, the weeping prophet. Verse 15, a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel's weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. What a horrific prophecy. And yet it came true. Matthew 2, verse 16, Herod saw that he'd been tricked by the Magi. He became very enraged and sent and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its vicinity. 
It was prophesied of the Messiah that he would be called Emmanuel. Isaiah 7.14 again, she will call his name Emmanuel. And of course, Matthew one twenty three confirms that they shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. It was prophesied of the Messiah that his ministry would be preceded by a messenger in the wilderness calling for repentance. Isaiah 40, verse 3, a voice is calling, Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. And of course, we know the story of John the Baptist, Matthew chapter 3. John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It was prophesied of the Messiah that He would have a ministry full of miracles and signs and wonders. Isaiah 35, verses 5 and 6, The eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf will be unstopped, the lame will leap, the dumb will shout. And of course, many scriptures talk about that. One of them is Matthew 9, verse 35, Jesus was going about all the cities and the villages, healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. It was prophesied of the Messiah that he would one day enter Jerusalem triumphant as a king, riding on a donkey. Uh, Zechariah 9, verse 9, Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Of course, the triumphal entry, we all know that story. Luke chapter 19, they threw their garments on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he was going, they were spreading their garments and, of course, palm branches on the road, shouting, Hosanna. It was prophesied of the Messiah that he would be sold or betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Zechariah 11, verse 12, it is, If it is good in your sight, give me my wages. So they weighed out 30 shekels of silver. And of course, Judas Iscariot asked in Matthew 26, 15, What are you willing to give me to deliver him up to you? And they weighed out to him 30 pieces of silver. It was prophesied of the Messiah that he would be crucified with thieves, with common robbers on either side of him. Uh, Isaiah 53 verse 12, he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. And of course we know that story, Matthew 27, 38, just one example. Two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. It was prophesied of the Messiah that lots would be cast for his garments as he died there on the cross. Psalm 22, verse 18, they divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. And of course, we know the soldiers did that. John 19, 23, and 24, the soldiers took his outer garments and made four parts. Of course, there was that one part of the tunic, and they cast lots for it. It was prophesied of the Messiah, this exact wording of His forsaken cry on the cross. Psalm 22 and verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that's exactly what Jesus said on the cross. Matthew 27 verse 46, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Flip it over to the next page. It was prophesied of the Messiah that while He was crucified, His bones would not be broken. Psalm 34 verse 20, He keeps all His bones. Not one of them is Broken, And we know that they broke the legs of both of the thieves on either side of Jesus. Remember that? But it says in John 19, 20, or 33, coming to Jesus, they did not break His legs because they saw He was already dead. It was prophesied of the Messiah that He would be buried in a rich man's tomb. Isaiah 53, verse 9, His grave was assigned to be with wicked men, yet with a rich man in His death. And of course, we're told in Matthew 27 that a rich man named Joseph of Arimathea asked for the body of Jesus and laid it in His own new tomb. Then number 15, it was prophesied of the Messiah that He would be resurrected from the dead after He died. 
Psalm 16, verse 10, you'll not abandon my soul to Sheol, neither will you allow your Holy One to see the pit. And that's almost exactly what Peter preached on Acts 2 and verse 31 on the day of Pentecost. He was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. We know that he rose from the dead on that very first day. Now, these are just a sampling of 15 of 332 Messianic prophecies. Here's the bottom line of our Bible study this morning. Jesus Christ fulfilled each and every one of these prophecies exactly and completely. Without a doubt, showing that He is the promised Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of humankind. Now, just as quickly as I say that, someone's sure to object to the evidence. And I want you to understand that these objections are not new. Skeptics have been trying to explain away Jesus' fulfillment of these prophecies for centuries upon centuries. <laughs> and usually their objections are basically threefold. The first objection is that these prophecies were written at the time or after the time of Jesus' life. And so they're not really prophecies at all, I understand. They're just were written either as they happened or after they happened. Well, of course, the answer to that is that even if you don't accept the historic date for the completion of the Old Testament, which was about 450 B.C., the Septuagint, which was the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, we know was completed by 250 B.C. And so even the biggest skeptic must accept that there is a minimum of 250 years between the right of these prophecies and their fulfillment. I think, of course, there's 450. The second objection is that Jesus deliberately set out to fulfill these prophecies. Like somebody gave him a checklist when he was born, and so he just set out to deliberately check them off one by one. I suppose you could think that would happen, but the answer to that is that actually many of these prophecies were completely out of his control. The place, the time, the manner of his birth. By the way, 15 different prophecies about his birth. The crowd's response to his ministries. The events surrounding his death, his burial, and his resurrection. He had no control over those things. The third objection is that Jesus accidentally or coincidentally fulfilled all of these prophecies. Well, let me just answer by saying not all 332 of them. The scientific probability for that is completely beyond the range of possibility. Peter Stoner, in his well-documented book, Science Speaks, rules out any possibility of chance fulfillment. And to illustrate his point, he takes just eight understand this, just eight of the Messianic prophecies and calculates that the chance that any man might have lived down to the present time and fulfilled all eight prophecies to be one in ten to the seventeenth power, that is one chance in one hundred sextillion. <laughs> now, how big is that number? Well, to help us be able to get a little bit of a, of a handle on that staggering possibility. Stoner illustrates it. He says, suppose we take 10 to the 17 silver dollars and lay them on the face of Texas. They will cover all of the state two feet deep. That's a lot. <laughs> 
Now mark one of these silver dollars and stir the whole mass thoroughly all over the state. Blindfold a man and tell him he can travel as far as he wishes, but he must pick up one silver dollar and say that this is the right one. What chance would he have of getting the right one? Just the same chance that the prophets would have had of writing these eight prophecies and having them all come true in any one man from their day to the present time, providing they wrote them in their own wisdom. Now these prophecies were either given by inspiration from God or the prophets just wrote them as they thought they should be. In such a case, the prophets had just one chance in 10 to the 17th power of having them come true in any one man. But they all came true in Jesus Christ. They all came true in Christ. Now folks, again, those are only eight of 332 Messianic prophecies. Sooner goes on to calculate the possibility of any one man fulfilling 48 of the Messianic prophecies to be 10 to the 157th power, so large a number that the probability is completely beyond the range of possibility, and that still only represents 15% of all of the prophecies related to the Messiah. Now, again, here's the bottom line of our Bible study this morning. I don't want us to miss this. In the middle of all this forest, I don't want us to just see the trees, you know, and we get all lost in all of this. Jesus Christ fulfilled each and every one of these prophecies exactly and completely. Without a doubt, He is the promised Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior and the Lord of humankind. Now that leads us to draw some conclusions. So what? <laughs> I mean, what does this morning's study about messianic prophecy have to do with our everyday lives today? Well, let me suggest three thoughts as we ponder the application of the prophecy candle today. Number one, the light of the prophets illuminates Christianity's indisputable claims. Christianity's indisputable claims. Simply put, these 332 Messianic prophecies and their exact fulfillment in Jesus Christ, not to mention, by the way, the hundreds of other biblical prophecies and their exact fulfillment down through history, provide convincing proof that Christianity is indeed authentic. It's the real deal. Yes. For instance, the prophecies illuminate the authenticity of God. Think this through with me. God is real. Yes. Read Isaiah 46, verses 9 through 11. Let's read this out loud together. Would you read it with me? For I am God alone. I am God, and there is no one like me. Only I can tell you what is going to happen even before it happens. Everything I plan will come to pass, for I do whatever I wish. I have said I would do it, and I will. Amen. See, only God 
can't say that. Yes. Only God. I mean, He is God. And when He says that He will do something, He does it. <laughs> Not just... 50% of the time, not just 75% of the time, but 100% of the time. What He says He will do is done. And so the prophecies tell us that God is real. Secondly, the prophecies illuminate the authenticity of the prophets. Deuteronomy 18, verse 21-22 tells us, you may be asking yourselves, how can we tell if a prophet's message really comes from the Lord? You will know because if the Lord says something will happen, it will happen. And if it doesn't, you will know that the prophet was falsely claiming to speak for the Lord. (laughs) How often are the prophets of God accurate? 100% of the time. I always get interested this time of the year because you go through the grocery lines and right now it's the last month you know, of the year starting tomorrow and you start to see all these wonderful magazines like the National Enquirer and all those, whatever those all are. I don't even know what they are. And they, they have on the front pages, you know, all these prophets that are predicting what's going to come in the new year 2015. You just watch. These things will start popping up at the supermarket, you know, right as you're checking out there, and they'll have all these... Do you know they did a study how often those prophets are accurate? Less than 5% of the time. And I got to thinking, well, that's not too bad, I guess. Until you start reading those prophecies and they're so gooky and so general in nature, I'm surprised it's not more than that. Less than 5%. How often are the prophets of God accurate? 100% of the time. (laughs) Don't miss that. Don't miss that. The prophecies illuminate the authenticity of the prophets themselves. And then third, the prophets, prophecies illuminate the authenticity of the Bible. Look at 2 Peter 1, verses 20 and 21. The main thing to keep in mind here is that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of private opinion. And why? Because it's not something concocted in the human heart. Prophecy resulted when the Holy Spirit prompted men and women to speak God's Word. And it's fascinating to me that the the prophecies coming true tell us that the Bible was inspired. It's the inerrant Word of God. I mean, it is truth. (laughs) And we can rely on it. This is not a man-made book. This has got God's hand all over it. And then finally, the prophecies illuminate the authenticity of Jesus. (laughs) The authenticity of Jesus. Remember what we read earlier? Luke chapter 24, verse 27, and then again in verses 44 and 45. Jesus Himself appealed to fulfill prophecy, to validate who He is. He opened their eyes so that they could understand the Scriptures and all the things that had been written about Him before He came in the words of the prophets. The Law of Moses, the Psalms. He opened their eyes so they could see and understand. I am who I say I am, Jesus said. And over and over again, by the way, the apostles did the same thing after Jesus rose and ascended into heaven. 
Peter, Acts 10, verse 43, preaching all the prophets testify about Him that everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins through His name. Paul, Acts 17, verses 2 and 3, as his custom was, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. What Scriptures would those be? The Old Testament, right? They didn't have the New Testament yet. The Old Testament Scriptures, the prophecies, explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. So what I want us to understand is this. There is a God. (laughs) And the prophets are trustworthy. And the Bible is truth. And Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Everything about Christianity is absolutely authentic. (laughs) And so here's the question for application. Are you wholeheartedly embracing Christianity's claims today? You know the thing I like about my faith? Is that I don't have to check my brains at the door when I become a Christ follower. I don't have to believe some goofy stuff written by somebody who doesn't make sense that isn't true. My faith is based on Evidence. My faith is on solid ground. It is credible. It is the Christianity is the most believable thing there is. Wow. So first, the light of the prophets illuminates Christianity's indisputable claims. Number two, the light of the prophets illuminates God's inalterable control. God's inalterable control. Simply put, God has always had a plan and a purpose and He has been in total control of that plan and purpose from the very beginning of time. (laughs) And the very fact that each and every one of these prophecies comes to complete and exact fulfillment is evidence that God has it all under control. He knows everything, past, present, and future. And He is working out His plan just as He planned to work out His plan. God didn't wind the world up and walk away. Hear me on this. A lot of people believe that. God is still very present. (laughs) And alive and well, thank you. And He is in control. And here's the most amazing fact. He has a plan and He has a purpose for you. Wow. Wow. Look what the psalmist wrote, Psalm 139. You have looked deep into my heart, Lord, and you know all about me. You know when I am resting and when I am working. And from heaven you discover my thoughts. You notice everything I do and everywhere I go. Before I even speak a word, you know what I will say. Nothing about me is hidden from you. Even before I was born, you had written in your book everything I would do. Wow. (laughs) God has it all under Control. One of my life scriptures, Jeremiah 29, verses 11 through 13. In fact, you've got to read this one out loud with me. Can we read this one together? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. 
You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Isn't that a wonderful promise? Amazing. God has a plan and a purpose for my life and for your life. He who spoke through the prophets and it came to pass has just as much of an unalterable plan and purpose for you. So here's another application question. Are you fully yielding to God's control? Are you? Are you surrendered to God and you, are you saying to God, God, I, I'm yielding to your control. I know you have a plan and a purpose for me. Even when I can't make any sense out of what's happening in my life, even when it seems like all the things are going wrong and they aren't going the way that I think they ought to be, I still trust you, God. I yield to you and I believe that you are in control and that you love me and that you're working out your plan and your purpose in my life and I will trust you implicitly. That's where we've got to be living, folks. So second, the light of the prophets illuminates God's inalterable control. Number three, the light of the prophets illuminates Jesus' inevitable coming. Jesus' inevitable coming. I mean, just think about this with me for a minute. Simply put, if these 332 Messianic prophecies were completely fulfilled down to the most minute detail when Jesus came the first time, then certainly the many end-time prophecies will be fulfilled down to the minutest detail when Jesus comes the second time. At the very end of the book of Revelation, the book about the end times, Jesus Himself said these words, Revelation 22. Remember, I am coming soon. God will bless everyone who pays attention to the message of this book. I am coming soon. And when I come, I will reward everyone for what they have done. I am coming soon. Did you get His message there? (laughs) You think He wanted to get a point across? I am coming soon. Maranatha, Lord, come soon. Quickly, here's the application question. Are you completely ready for Jesus coming? Can you say right now that if Jesus were to come in this next moment, that everything in your life is together, that you have done everything you need to do in your relationship with God, that you've taken care of all the business you need to take care of, that you are completely and totally ready. Jesus, come. Because I've done everything I need to take care of. Can you say that today? And if not, why not? What are you going to do about that? Because you know what? Jesus could, I'm not just an alarmist here, but I really believe Jesus could come any time. Why not today? So third, the light of the prophets illuminates Jesus' inevitable coming. Three lessons to be learned then from the prophecy candle. Three practical applications for our everyday lives. Three questions that we must answer, I believe, today. Are we wholeheartedly embracing Christianity's claims? Are we fully yielding to God's control? And are we completely ready for Jesus' coming? Pretty important questions.
the prophecy candle. Let's wrap up today's first lesson in our Advent candle series by reading the words of Jesus in John 5 and verse 39 out loud together. Let's wrap up today's lesson by reading these words. You have your heads in your Bibles constantly because you think you'll find eternal life there, but you miss the forest for the trees. These Scriptures are all about me, and here I am standing right before you. Please, 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 please. If you don't hear anything else that I've said this morning, please don't miss this. Don't miss Jesus. This is not Xmas that we're celebrating. This is Christmas. And in all of your celebration of Christmas as we move into this season together, as we begin to anticipate the coming of Christmas Day and what that means, the coming of our Savior and our Lord Jesus Christ, and we celebrate His birth. Yes, we celebrate His life, we celebrate His resurrection, and we think about His coming again a second time. As we're thinking about all that, leave Him at the middle. Let Him be at the middle of your celebration. Don't lose Him in the busyness of your shopping. Don't lose Him in the busyness of your celebrations. Don't lose Him in the busyness of all your running here and there and everywhere for this appointment and that party and whatever else. It's all about Jesus. Don't miss the greatest gift, Christmas gift, ever given. Don't miss it.